Blog Talk Radio. I am your hostess, Cynthia, and my co-hostess, Melissa, will be with us shortly. And here at Mama's Pearls, we like to say that we take the most beautiful pieces of life and share them together. So whatever's happening in your daily life, particularly if you're a parent, but overall we look to um, strengthen relationships every relationship in your life, and we take those bits and pieces from your daily life and present them to you in a nice, neat fun package here at Mama's Pearls. We start our week here, if this is your first time tuning in, we start our week on Facebook, so I invite you to join us there at the Mama's Pearls fan page, or like page as it's now called, or you can connect with me and Melissa there. Um, We basically start our conversations on Facebook with different themes, excuse me, different themes and quotes trying to get our um, our juices flowing for the current week. And this week we're talking about family legacies. Last week we were talking about um, what it means to be the birthday girl. And we found that, you know, a lot of people don't take the time to honor their birthday. They might go out and celebrate another person's birthday, or if you have children, you go all out in doing the party that your kids want or getting them the presents that they want, and you make it an, an, a concerted effort to make it special for the birthday boy or girl. And we're shining a light back to you when you look in the mirror, especially if you're a parent, to say, it's okay to celebrate your birthday too. And the reason why we got it so, we're getting so excited about that topic was last week was my birthday and next week is Melissa's birthday. So it's a very celebratory time and I think people in general just around Halloween start getting that celebratory feeling of wanting to connect with people and wanting to, um, wanting to party a little bit. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that so go for it um last week the the pearl of the week was an eternal wish and one of the things that melissa and i both talk about in our blogs last week which my blog is mama's pearls and melissa's is m's gems was the concept of doing a self-reflection take a look in the mirror and and dive deep into who you see before you And every single birthday, I look at it as a time to honor the past, the present, and the future. So your past, all your past decisions about what led you to that current birthday, what is happening now in your present of of honoring who you are on your birthday, and then leading into your future. You have the ability to make a wish and incarnate into any future future persona or personification of yourself that you want. So on your birthday is a really really good time to do that. And I do a whole spiritual cleanse and ritual, and you can read about that on the blog last week. Um, Both Melissa and I blog can be found at www.mamaspearls.com, and I do a whole introspective um, ritual that that 
can be I work on it I work on my spirituality and spiritual practices from a feeling perspective and I kind of took those feelings and, and put it into questions for you so I'm very curious to see how those practices work for you and part of Melissa's gems and wishes for herself this year was to incorporate a spiritual practice and um, particularly around her birthday to take the time to celebrate it and I see Melissa is on and I see her special guest is on the line and we're going to get to him in a minute you guys are going to be so excited Melissa are you with us? I'm here how are you? Hi, my my darling. I'm amazing, and um, I'm recapping last week's show and talking about, and I just got to the point where you were saying in your blog how you were going to make a pledge this year to yourself to actually celebrate your birthday. Yes. Now, and, why, um, why did, why did you... Well, I'm just curious, like, because, you know, a lot of people don't celebrate their birthday and, you know, other people celebrate it for them. So why all of a sudden are you now into your birthday, which is next week? And I'm really excited, and I do have a little bit of a surprise birthday present for you today. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, I think because I I put it in my blog in in perspective that I I recognize the day, but I don't recognize the occasion. And I've never put such... I find that I make my children's birthday a big deal. Why shouldn't I make my own birthday a big deal? And I think I'm actually getting better with age. And so I enjoy each year. I've never, like, taken the time to reflect because I realize, looking back just five years from my five years ago from a big birthday, I've grown up a lot. And, and it, my life has changed so much. And, you know, coincidentally, I celebrated my wedding anniversary yesterday. And I look at the years that go by so quickly and realize so much has gotten done and accomplished that if I don't pay tribute to that, it's, it, you don't learn from those lessons, even though you do day-to-day. But I feel like, you know what, you do have to, you know, I take, I get the day off for, you know, George Washington's birthday. I should, you know, recognize my birthday. Yeah, really. What, is he, what has he done for you? I mean, come <laughs> on. Yeah, <laughs> everybody should should have Melissa and I's birthday off. That's 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 a given. Um, and I know you're celebrating your wedding anniversary yesterday. I'm celebrating my wedding anniversary today. And you know, like I said in the beginning, like it's we're in a very celebratory mood here at Mama's Pearls. And um, last week we also had a special guest on the show with us, Kathy Pagano who is a Jungian astrologer and archetypal um, really expert. She's also a writer, and she does um, she can do readings for you as well. If, it's, if, you're, if you're interested in astrology, if you've never done it before, she's, she's a really good first person to experience it with because she can give you the full lowdown. And we started last week giving a little bit of a background to astrology readings. And she can be found at www.wisdom-of-astrology.com. And she also writes two blogs. And, you know, I was talking to some people after the show and talking about how we had an astrologer on. And, um, you know, I I think there's a real misunderstanding about what it is um, and about readings in general. It's not necessarily to see your future, but I see it as to get better understanding about yourself. So, it is a really good birthday present to give yourself or a friend that you care about who may be going on um, going on the practice of having a spiritual re- reflection period because it does give you insights. We've learned that Melissa has no earth in her chart. <laughs> so sorry, honey, no earth. 
<laughs> you are earthless. I'm an open, but I am an overcompensator, so. Yes, exactly, which which we we learned from Kathy. If you're missing an element in your chart, you'll bring it into your practical life to overcompensate. And Melissa is the practical side of Mama's Pearls, which is scary considering you have no earth, but it is true. You keep, you keep our rubber to the road and very grounded. So I want to dive in and introduce our special guest, but I do want to give you a little bit of a snippet of your birthday present. So are you ready, Melissa? I'm ready. I've been I have my very, eyes very excited about this. You excited? Um, I, I have a feeling it's just coming to reality what it is, and I'm so excited. It's, I know Goldberg has something to do with this. Yep, yep. There I you go. This is courtesy of David Goldberg, and this is only the snippet piece because next week we're not week we'll related for all our guests out there. We're not related. Right. David, David Goldberg and Melissa Goldberg are of no relation, but David Goldberg, okay, wait, let me, let me do, I'm such a bad, I'm so bad like this. Like you said, your mom pams it. Like I just totally botched it and, and, and Cynthia did. So, but here <laughs> is a little bit of a, of a pre-birthday surprise for you. And Jim! I love it. <laughs> and that wasn't even like the good one. So yes, that is that is a um joint work between David Goldberg and I and David Goldberg is a music composer and he did the theme for Mama's Pearls as well and we will we will be unveiling the full M's Gems theme song next week for Melissa's birthday. So Aww, happy pre birthday. So awesome. Lady. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> I have a theme song. I'm I, excited. You you have a theme song now. I mean, we are like the two biggest dorks in the world, and it's just amazing. <laughs> but, yes. So, okay. So now rolling over into this week's theme, because when you're born into this world, you're not just into this world, you're born into a family. And with your family comes certain sticks, should we say? <laughs> that would probably be a good word. Certain baggage. Baggage. <laughs> You know, you can put your own uh, synonym on it because um, we're coded from the your bloodline, and your bloodline carries with it the liquid of your family, your family memories, your family karma, so to speak. And when you're born into a set of parents, and most people who are listening are parents themselves, but think of it going both up the line and then down the line to your children, you know, there is a commonality thread that you see in your gene pool. And what happens when you're brought into a family is, you know, certain things are kind of already set and already registered. And, you know, what do you then make of it? We talk, we've talked a couple of times on various Mama's Pearl shows about, you know, making your own mark in this world and seeing yourself as separate from your parents. And a lot of times it takes a long time to figure out, like, who Cynthia is and not just Cynthia, the son or daughter of, you know, Galen. Larry Littman, um, and you know when we when we're when we're working through that, and I think all of us are working on that. And then when you're looking down the line at your own children and seeing what am I passing on to them, 
Am I passing them down something that's been encoded in my family that does not work anymore or does not apply or that they're going to reject? Am I putting extra pressure on them? So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this topic. And, you know, this week's blog is called Families, Family Legacies, and the Pearl of the Week is a New Dynasty. Automatically, when I think of great family dynasties, um, especially in, you know, American family dynasties, like all these names other than my own family started coming to mind. And, you know, every family out there has its own mini dynasty. And what does that mean for you? I automatically started thinking of the Kennedys and the Clintons and the Bushes and started going through like all the various um, different areas, whether it's political or industry empires like the Carnegies and the Rockefellers and the, you know, the other heiresses um, of industry, Johnson and Johnson and the Hiltons and the Trumps. And in sports, I was thinking of the Mannings and just all these different all these different families that are really, really famous. And then I got to thinking about Hollywood a little bit because, you know, this is, this is the, the, the little bit of entertainment world that I play in. And it's kind of been a, a self-reflective theme for me this month as, um, as with last week's guest and now this week's guest who I want to do, do proper and do good by, um, by introducing him to the Mama's Pearls community because Stephen Simon is really the person responsible for cueing me into the genre of spiritual cinema. Um, and I've joked about him before on the show, particularly when we had Gay Hendricks on the show and talking about how, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to see myself working with Steven Spielberg and in walks Steven Simon, and I used to joke, well, that, you know, that for me was good enough. But Stephen, in his own right, has come through, su- hi, Stephen, has come through such an incredible journey on his own of being born into an extraordinary family legacy from Hollywood royalty, not just Hollywood royalty, but the old Hollywood royalty that we all look back and that your parents are probably still still talking and, and dreaming about, and that my mom has you know fixated in her in her mind when she turns on the Turner Classic Movie Station. So what happens to a little to a little little sweet boy who's born into this really overwhelming and glitzy glamorous world in Beverly Hills? Well, we're going to talk about today in terms of how Stephen Simon carried on his family legacy because he did go on to become a Hollywood producer after a wonderfully failed attempt at being a lawyer. And he still, he still, even though he's a recovering lawyer, he definitely still has a lawyer complex, and he's a really fun client to have. Um, <laughs> So Stephen has gone on to produce some wonderful films. Some of you may know the film Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, which totally was a disaster at the box office, but has gone on to ha- to become legendary um, in the in the cult classic world and become a really popular movie over time. And he just went back and celebrated. A major anniversary, I don't remember the number because Stephen knows I'm I'm terrible with numbers, but a major anniversary of the Somewhere in Time with the reunion, which they do frequently in the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island. And also he produced um, When Dreams May Come, which went on to be an Academy Award nominee with um, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robin Williams. And he's had a remarkable journey on his own, and eventually he's... (laughs) He 
kind of fell on his face a few times and then, you know, picked himself up and dusted himself forward. And long story short, he's still working in 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 the field of cinema, but now he's carved a niche in terms of calling out the genre of spiritual cinema. And he has become the godfather of spiritual cinema. And of the time when he was going around the country to introducing this concept with his first book, Mystical Movie Messages That Inspire His Life, was when I had the great old privilege of meeting him and attending one of his lectures and and since then, we've really bonded and connected on a deep level. I consider him not just a, a, a mentor, but really my my spiritual father. He is also, as as um, as we say in full disclosure, he's also the godfather to my son. So he is an extremely, extremely important person in my life and has been an extreme guide, um, both in the working sense of teaching me about the entertainment world, but also in a personal, spiritual sense. So I am just so happy to share with the Mama's Pearls community the great legacy that is Mr. Stephen Simon. Stephen, welcome. Well, good night and goodbye. <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> that was really beautiful. You know, that's really lovely. I have to tell you, I've never had a more beautiful and heartfelt introduction than that. And I have to say I'm very touched by it. So thank you, Sin. That that was really beautiful. Now I'm going to revert to type and say, uh, yeah, now I've got to say something to Melissa. Melissa, uh, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to have you on today and to speak so with Cynthia you. So must, Cynthia must really, really love you and care about you. Because <laughs> in the entire discussion of her of your birthday, I never heard a hint of Cynthia singing to you. Oh, and, <laughs> that was a request. <laughs> and, and I have That's to say... next I'm, week. Okay. I, I look forward every year because I love pain. Or else I wouldn't be a filmmaker to having Cynthia call me on my birthday and sing to to me because there is absolutely nothing like Cynthia singing happy birthday. It is an experience that if you haven't had in your life, you need to have once before you die, but not really close to when you die. Well, Stephen, if you had a duet with Cynthia and I, it could be worse. So, Cynthia and I are very similar. We're definitely never going to be Beyonce. Uh, or Destiny's Child. We've we've talked about that. We know that our future is not in. We will not be auditioning for American Idol. <laughs> well, that's a major Mama Pearl right there to understand that. I think that's great. Anyway, it's it's wonderful to be with you both. Thank you for that, Sin, and thank you both. And hi, Melissa. Um, hi. This is really this is really exciting for me. I mean, I've spoken to you both about each other in in great detail. Melissa being my best friend since we were 11 years old, and you know, Stephen being being my mentor. So, so this is really a super big treat for me, and I'm just totally totally excited. So now, okay, so let's cut in a little bit. Because, Stephen, you've written this book, Bringing Back the Old Hollywood, Wild Times and Life Lessons with Sinatra, Cruz, Reeve, Madonna, and more. So, like, the first thing, and, and I've had the chance to, to read it before it's come out, but it is now available through your website, www.theoldhollywood.com. And, you know, I was really interested to read this book, you know, one from – one from just my personal connection with you, but you know when you start name dropping, <laughs> it's just it's, it's so incredible the world that you were surrounded with 
and born into with, you know, not even a silver spoon, but with really a diamond-plated spoon. So I kind of want to start there, like lay you on the couch and pretend I'm Freud and tell me about about your mother and your experience, you know, being born in Beverly Hills in this time. Well, it was a, it was an extraordinary experience. Um, now, when you're living it and you're a kid, it's kind of like what you know. So, you know, you're not as aware of how extraordinary it is until you look back on it. But my dad, um, Sylvan Simon, was a producer and a director and a studio executive in the 30s and 40s. Um, he made about f- almost 43 films. And his best friend in the world was Red Skelton. And he directed, um, I think, three or four movies with Red. And Red was always around uh, in our house um, while I was young. And then he, made a, he played a very big part in me getting to understand something about why Frank Sinatra became my godfather at such a, a young age. But uh, Dad was... Wait, I'm sorry. Can you, can you say that again? Frank Sinatra was No, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get, yeah, we'll just get to that in a second. But Dad, <laughs> Dad really did a lot of comedies. And so our house was not only Red Skelton, it was the Marx Brothers, it was Abbott and Costello, it was Milton Berle. I mean, it, and it was crazy. On, on Sundays, they would spend the whole day in the backyard and uh, barbecuing hot dogs and hamburgers and and hanging out, and I got to be a part of the film industry when I was very, very young, and it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary being around that. I mean, I remember my first dog was an offspring of Lassie because my dad had directed (laughs) Son of Lassie, so he got Rudd Weatherwax, who trained Lassie, to give us one of Lassie's offspring. So I really did grow up in that world. I grew up in an extraordinarily glamorous time in Hollywood. I missed the 30s, which was the most glamorous time. But I I was born in 46, so I grew up around that, and our house was filled with Elizabeth Taylor and James Stewart and Henry Fonda and, and, you know, everybody that you can think of from that era. My dad uh, died when I was four, uh, suddenly, uh, which is a a longer story that I go into in the book. And then my mother remarried... uh, quite soon after that, and she married another film producer named Armin Deutsch. So I really grew up around the film industry and around film people and around the old Hollywood, which is why the website is called theoldhollywood.com and why bringing back the old Hollywood has been such a focus uh, of my life. And as I mentioned briefly, and uh, we can talk about it now, my dad was responsible for actually saving Frank Sinatra's movie career. Uh, Frank Sinatra was very much down on his luck and his career at the end of the 40s. He had lost his voice, he'd hemorrhaged his vocal cords, and he'd made a couple of really bad movie decisions. His, His career, as Frank later told me when he explained everything to me on my 18th birthday, his career was, according to Frank, in the toilet. And my dad was responsible for Columbia purchasing the rights to From Here to Eternity, which was a huge best-selling book at that time. And my sister, uh, Susan Granger, who is a a wonderful film critic and uh, has been my guiding light my entire life, Uh, my sister remembers James Jones being in the house because Susie's older than I am, and them working on the, the, the script together, and dad 
told Sinatra about it, got Sinatra involved, and from here to eternity, some very things, interesting things happened with Harry Cohn, who was the head of Columbia. My dad died. Uh, Sinatra had the part, lost the part, got the part back, but that whole story is a long story, which I talk about in the book, but on my 18th birthday, Frank, uh, who gave me a brand-new 1964 Corvette, Stingray, as an 18th birthday present, explained to me why, on my dad's death when I was four, he kind of became my unofficial godfather. So I grew up around that. I spent a lot of time with Sinatra, and growing up in that world was just, it was a fascinating thing. I mean, it had great fascination to it, but it also has, there's a, you know, a yang to every ying, and, you know, you grow up, I grew up incredibly spoiled, um, incredibly unrealistic, <laughs> totally pampered, yeah. um, and uh, it cost me a lot because I had no sense of the reality of the world, and when I did grow up, uh, let me just say this real quickly on, on this one point, the best quote I've heard about this, and I, I, I said it, I said it in the book, is that I saw Will Smith interviewed by uh, Oprah, and she talked to him about his success and his wife's success and then Jaden, his son's success, and Will said Jaden came to him one day and said, uh, you know, Dad, we're rich, aren't we? And <laughs> Will said he looked at his son and said, son, Mom and Dad are rich. You're broke. And I just think that is such a great message for families who are lucky to give to their kids because your kids grow up, and I grew up around a lot of kids who felt very entitled, as I did, who were spoiled rotten, as I was, who really kind of felt that because their parents had a certain level of success that it would naturally come to them and they wouldn't have to work for it. And I have to say a lot of those kids uh, died. I mean, they committed suicide, not a lot, but a few committed suicide got into drugs, died of drug overdoses and things like that. It was a, it, So growing up in that kind of a family is a, a fabulous, wonderful opportunity if you can keep your head about you. Right. And it's, okay, so let's, let's pick this apart a little bit because you threw a lot of pieces out there and each of them on its own has its own message wrapped up. You know, the one thing that I will say about, Frank Sinatra is that, you know, just cut to, I could see Colby, my son, <laughs> writing a book when he's in his 40s or 50s saying, my great grand, my great unofficial godfather was Frank Sinatra. So, so, that, so that's my, like, no degree of separation from Frank Sinatra, which is kind of cool. Well, but, I can tell um, you that my stepson having, Carter, who is 14, already does yes. that at school. He, <laughs> he, he, he refers to Frank as his step-grandfather. <laughs> Step, step godfather. That's step so grandfather, funny. godfather. Yeah. Right, but you know when you have these, you know, in this week's blog, I talk about the family shadow, and what you're talking about now is growing up in a very large shadow where. Um, and I think we see this a lot with celebrities and celebrity families where it becomes larger than life because it's tapped into the social consciousness. It's not just, you know, my little my little ten person family and family tree on the side, but it has a significance for you know, for our culture and for um and for the masses. So 
growing up in that shadow of, you know, one, it's kind of perpetuating an illusion of what Hollywood glamour is supposed to be. And two is then saying, okay, I'm, I'm seeing this as a child and trying to process it. You know, one, where were your parents as far as guiding you through it or were you just kind of on your own? And, you know, and two, taking that shadow and then, you know, either reflecting it back from you or or stepping forward into it. I mean, you obviously have gone on into the film business. You obviously were, were bred for it. It doesn't seem like you had any other <laughs> real choices or, or interests other than that, you know, part and parcel because you didn't think you really had to work for it and you didn't have that work ethic when you were being raised. But where, you know, where in that landscape did you kind of face the family shadow? That's a great question. Uh, certainly not when I was young. Um, I, I really had, uh, as I said, I grew up in a very entitled uh, state of mind. And I really just had to get the crap kicked out of me um, and have life show me how real things were. And frankly, that didn't God, happen. God, I wish I knew until... you then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I after you, you wouldn't have wanted you. to know me. But believe me, you wouldn't have not wanted to know me before. Uh, it, it was it was not pretty, and it really wasn't until I was well into my 30s that I finally became aware of what my the damage that my ego and my entitled feelings and things like that had done to me, and it it wreaked a lot of havoc. Um, I went through a, a really horrendous period of time in my life where I got fired. Um, I went into a bankruptcy, uh, I, I lost everything. I mean, I literally lost everything. And uh, at the time, I had two young kids and uh, through a series of other reasons, wound up having to raise them by myself. And it, it was a really, and, and actually I say that at the time, having to raise them. Now I look back and say, my God, what a gift it was getting to raise right. my children on my own because that was right. more than anything else. That was the catalyst for me really growing up that didn't really happen until I was in my 40s. So I went through a long period of time of being lost in ego, and I had to fail and basically lose absolutely everything, everything, and start over so my again. First, and my that first was the question, thing that helped. My first question when you were saying you lost everything is like, wait a minute, why didn't your parents bail you out? Like, where was your relationship with your parents then? My relationship with, with my mom. parents at that point was was very uh, poor, um, and we didn't really have much communication. But at that point, it really was actually it was a blessing for me that uh, they had no interest in bailing me out, because right. uh, if they had, I wouldn't have learned the lessons. You know, when you when you're down to nothing, and I, I remember vividly having a period of time in which. I mean, this sounds like a bad country and western song, but it it really was. I mean, my, our house went into foreclosure. My car got repossessed out of the garage. I was broke. Um, I was getting divorced. Um, I was uh, declaring bankruptcy. I'd been fired from my job. I had um, young girls uh, to completely support, and there was a moment in which I had about $80 in the world. That's all I had. And um, it, it was the thing that, that made me grow up and, uh, and become a real person, 
which I had not done. And, you know, frankly, that didn't happen until I was about 43 or 44 years old. So uh, it was a long time coming, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think one of the things that I'm the most grateful for is that the comments that we've been getting on the website um, from people who have read the book is that, you know, when they see all of this, like the, the best comments I've been getting from people is like, God, I, I got fired and I was feeling really bad, and then I read your book and realized you did a lot more dumber things than I did. And, you know, that's great. You know, I hope that it will be encouraging for people like that and a, a look behind the scenes of what it was like to grow up with Frank Sinatra as your godfather and, and all of those different things, and then the bringing back the old Hollywood we'll talk about in a second. But it, it was an extraordinary thing, and I think anybody who has gone through a dark night of the soul uh, and I know you right. have. I mean, you know, we all have. I mean, anyone who's gone through a dark night of the soul know that it is a dreadfully difficult, painful, frightening thing to go through. And you always wind up better off for it once you can see it in your right. rearview mirror. When you're in it, it's just hell. When, it, when you're in it, it sucks. But like you said, when you come, when you do come through it or you start seeing the light of the tunnel... You know, it takes you through this really raw place where you have to be honest with yourself. Like, there's no other alternative but to face your your shadow and your family shadow and reconnect with who you are and what matters to you. It's it's kind of it's not more it's more than a battle of wits. It's a it's a battle of um, your values. And when everything else fades away, especially in the material world, what is left standing? So can we talk about some of your dumb mistakes, please, to humor me? <laughs> sure. <laughs> because there's a, there's, a, there's a few favorite things that you say in the book, and, one, and, and it starts with, as I've said, a genius I am not. That's <laughs> probably my favorite line in the book. So let's talk. Um, hmm, there's just so many things to choose. Yeah, from. it's only an hour interview, so I, we better hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's let's start with the Steven Spielberg incident. Oh, sure. This, Go this ahead. This is a good yes, one and a total and a total lesson as far as um, and and that's really what I kept getting from from reading this is that it's not just in a way you do resurrect the dead as far as it being a nostalgic and you know page turner just from just from the you know sultry side of looking through this book with the you know with your pictures and with the stories and then and you know and the actors that you were surrounded by but at the other end it's really somewhat of a cautionary tale as well as a mentor's guide to people who are not just in the film industry, but going off into any industry. Like, there's some incredibly valuable lessons that we can all learn from Stephen's dumb mistakes. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting. The Spielberg so, thing is an interesting saga because you know, it's a long yeah. chapter in the book um, that, mm-hmm. that deals with what dreams may come and Steven Spielberg's interest in directing the film. And without getting into... Um, all of the details of it, uh, the bottom line of it is is that there was a point uh, in the mid-1980s, because it took me 20 years to get What Dreams May Come Made from the time that I first got the galleys of the book, uh, which was in 1979 or 1978, until the film came out in 2000. And, I mean, in uh, 2008 the film came out, and I got the galleys in, I think, 19. 19- 
88 or 89, something like 1978 or 79, something like that. It was about 20 years. There was a point in which Steven Spielberg was very interested, uh, wanted to develop the screenplay, and it was right after he had directed E.T. He had, was the number one director in the world. And um, it, it's a long story, but the bottom line of it is, and if you it's, want to read the details of it, I recommend 13. it in the book. Yeah, it's yeah, it's chapter 13, and it's my favorite chapter. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, um, I decided not to go forward with Spielberg. And uh, I had a lot of reasons for doing it, and, and, and some of them today still seem very valid. And, and what I want to say also is because I want to be fair to my dear friend Vincent Ward, who wound up directing What Dreams May Come. I think Vincent did a fantastic job on What Dreams May Come, and there is a mm-hmm. part of me that says, yes, you know, for a career standpoint, from a career standpoint, that was suicide for me. It was insane for me to say no to Steven Spielberg. I mean, it was crazy because what it could have done for my career would have been extraordinary. From the standpoint of the film itself, I'm still not sure it was a mistake. Uh, it, it's not mm-hmm. something that, you know, Steven Spielberg at the time of E.T. was not Steven Spielberg at the time of Schindler's List. And there, I, I'm not sure about all that, but from a career standpoint, uh, it was, you know, everyone thought I was completely out of my mind, and it is one of those things that I look back on, and I question myself about it to this day. Even you can tell the, yeah. the uncertainty in my voice to, you know, was that the right thing? Was it the wrong thing? Did I do the wrong thing? I know from a career standpoint, it was the wrong thing to do. For the project, I'm not sure. Project, I'm not sure. Right. I mean, that, that's a decision that would have kept me up for the rest of my life, <laughs> rolling, rolling over. But these are, the, these are also the opportunities that we learn from over and over and over again. And, and one of the things in, in your book is clear about your loyalties um, and that, you know, loyalties might have been more, more, um, more meaningful to you than your own personal career. So At that it's point, really like you know, this, you know, thank you for saying that because yeah. actually the, the 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 there was a circumstance going on around that whole process with Spielberg that dealt with um, people who were very very close to me in my life and very had been really wonderful to me in my life and um, you know I had already gone through an experience with a mentor my main mentor Ray Stark. Uh, and that is probably the longest chapter in the book, uh, who had made The Way We Were and and uh, Funny Girl and a bunch of other wonderful movies. And I'd gone through a horrible parting from, from Ray in which I had felt that I had really let Ray down, which I did. Um, and I had another mentor at that time uh, during the Spielberg time that – I would have had to have done the same thing too, and I. So it was a, and you know, again, this is a, not something we can do quickly here, but it was a very complex thing, and I think that people will find that story really interesting because it is one of those things that was not so easy. It's not so easy to look right. back on and do. I mean, a lot easier for me to look back on and say that I hired and fired Nancy Myers, who wound up being the most successful woman director in the history of the business. That one was a lot more black and white when I look back on it, and I go, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Now, that was just dumb. <laughs> you know, that was just stupid. Yes, and it's not even your birthday. We're, we're reflecting early this year. Okay, so, fair, fair enough. But, yeah, 
But but there but there is like this um you know one you've been surrounded with pretty incredible mentors and I also love if you can just share the advice that Michael Douglas gave to you. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh, Kirk Douglas was one of my uh, my parents uh, my stepdad actually and my mother closest friends Kirk and Anne were very close. Um I knew Michael a little growing up but Michael is a couple of years older than I was. Um, we didn't go to the same schools and things like that. So I knew him, but I didn't really know him well. I would not say that we were friends. We just knew each other. And when I uh, got somewhere in time committed to go into production as my first film as a producer, I was ecstatic because I thought it was going to lead to all other kinds of things. And I just happened to see Michael uh, on the Universal lot when we were preparing somewhere in time. And I went up and said hello to him, and he asked me how I was doing and stuff like that. And I told him, and I, you know, I was so excited because I was going to produce my first film, and I knew it was going to lead to this and lead to this, and he was great. And he said, hey, sit down. i got a story to tell you. It's something that's important for you to know. And he told me this wonderful story that when he had produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it got nominated for every major Academy Award, Michael thought to him, I'm going to tell the story as though Michael was telling it. So Michael said to me, so I thought, well, this is great. We're going to go to the Academy Awards. We're going to win at least one of these major awards, I think. So he said, I had another project that I wanted to get set up as a producer, and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I set up meetings with every studio in Hollywood to pitch that project for the day after the Oscar ceremony. Because I thought, you know, I'll be, uh, we'll win at least one of these things. I'll be hot, and I'll be able to get this other project started. So he says, so we go to the Oscars, and wouldn't you know it, we won everything. And I won for best picture, you know, for as, as best producer. We won every major award with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And he said, I was just flying. And the next day, I went to all those meetings, and everybody said no. Hmm. And I said, what? He said, yeah, Stephen, everybody said no. So what you need to know as a film producer is that if an actor has a big film, he can ride on it for quite some time. If a director has a big film, you can ride on it for some time. As a producer, you start over every single time. And it's a very important thing for you to learn. And I, I was riveted by what he said. And from the minute, it probably took me about a minute and a half from the time we parted for me to completely forget about it, ignore it, pretend that it had never happened, <laughs> and I wound up being really the poorer for it because there were certain things that I expected that would happen that didn't happen. And it was great, great advice. It's an incredible piece of advice coming from another um, child and part of Hollywood royalty. And you know and 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 I think that rolls over into the entitlement bit that you think even if you're following in your family's footsteps or if even if you go into your family's business that things are at, are, are have already been set up for years and have been successful for you know I'm just going to say you know years and years and years that if you just go and appear that everything's going to just show up for you and what you've learned and what I've learned and what so many people learn over and over again, that that is just not the case, that you have to continually work towards your dreams and work towards um, work towards a desired goal. Yeah, that's, that's a 
you know, that's an amazing piece of advice that, that you just ignored. Yeah, that I chose to ignore. Yeah, I was a genius about that. Another brilliant move. Yeah, Melissa. Melissa? I'm here. I just, I I want to hear some of your feedback on this. Yeah, I want to hear some of your feedback on this. Oh, well, no, I mean, I could listen to these stories all day. They're so inspiring. And it's true. I think for myself, it's funny because sometimes I, like, have those moments where I wish I did it a little bit differently and I default to blaming it on my parents. Like, why didn't they push me? Like, why did they, like, let me go with the flow? Like, why didn't they insist I do something else? But it's interesting how your family does, you know, my mother was always a laid-back person, so I think I'm, I've always been kind of laid-back in the sense of, you know, what will come will come. And so it's just interesting to see how it's true. Like, you you, you treat business the way you're raised almost. I can't explain it. But um, I think one, some of the biggest stresses or um, disappointments in my life have actually made me bigger, stronger, smarter, wiser, and I wouldn't take them back for a second. I think they're important. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and so I love to hear the successes post-disaster stories, if that makes sense. Well, one of, yeah, no, it makes total sense. One of, one of the things in um, movies that kept coming to my mind when I was writing this week's blog was Forrest Gump. And I kept thinking of Lieutenant Dan, how Lieutenant Dan is, you know, the military, the military lieutenant of foreign, Forrest Gump's, um, what do you call it? His, you know, his unit, his military unit when he goes off to Vietnam. And Lieutenant Dan came from a multi-generational of all of his forefathers have fought and died in every single American war. So he basically goes off to war as a lieutenant. He's in the military, and he's supposed to carry on his family legacy and, too, die a hero in, in the battlefield. Cut to Forrest Gump, not letting that happen, being the idiot that he is, and carrying him off the field to basically save his life. And I say save with quotation marks. Um, and Lieutenant Dan then has to readjust to his now new reality of not living up to his family legacy, but being a disabled war veteran and happy Veterans Day, and thank you to the men and women as we come upon Veterans Day tomorrow. Um, but... And then right. he Good is job. now living life as yeah is living life as a disabled um, war veteran who goes and follows follows Forrest Gump's now new mission in life, which is to carry on his other war buddy Bubba. Bubba's family legacy of being in the shrimping business, and he combines these two worlds. Bubba, as you know, knows everything there is to know about the shrimping business, and his long line of um, mamas were serving shrimp and, you know, knowing everything, but then Bubba dies, and now Forrest is now carrying it on to become the king of the shrimping business with Lieutenant Dan. So, you know, these, you know what I say in the blog is, like, fate always has veto power, over our choices in in this life and what we what we think that we know and where we think we're going to go, um, the whole thing with starting over every single time is always a test of fate. When you are in the movie industry and you are a movie producer, because none of the stars line up the same way for any any film project, 
And um, like Stephen said earlier, it has taken him 20 years to get what dreams may come. You know, I saw him kind of wrangle together conversations with God in like, an, you know, in a blink of an eye, but that still was a project that sat um, that sat on the table of maybe we'll do it, maybe we'll not. It's, you know, things so that took come about and go. Eight, actually, and from the time I decided I wanted to do that to the time we we actually could do it was eight or nine years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But once everything lined up, you know, that that project flew. But these things, you know, take time. And I think it's almost impossible not to question yourself, not to question what your purpose is, especially as, as a movie producer when you're having all these ups and downs. And what I see, like, you living in, you know, this huge shadow is that everything should just turn to gold all over the place. You should be pooping gold. You know, that just <laughs> seems to be what, um, what you, you were know, that's for. also <clears throat> that's also what led me to this moment, you know, being brought up in that family, being born into the old Hollywood, living in the old Hollywood, seeing it, you know, being a part of my, as you said, a part of my legacy is, and it's interesting because you go through different stages, and I have always loved movies. They are a great passion of my life, and it is something that motivates me every day, which is what, at the end of the day, motivated me to write this new book, Bringing Back the Old Hollywood, because as much fun as it is to look back and talk about the films that you know that we made and the films that we love films are about to disappear new films are about to disappear new films are going to go extinct there will be a time somewhere in the next five or ten years somewhere in that period of time that unless something dramatically changes new films will cease getting made now not every film will cease getting made. I'm not saying that that's going to happen to every film. But if you look back on the history of the film business in 1939, which was the high watermark, about 650 films were made, uh, feature-length films, in the United States. Now, when it gets down to that today, it's around 150, 200. In about five or ten years, that'll be down to 20, 30, or 40, and they will only be the big studio tentpole, Harry Potter, Avatar types of films, which I love, which are great. Independent films are basically right now on life support. Um, Very few of them are getting made. Almost none of them are making it into theaters. The entire financial model for Hollywood, which has been around now for 100 years, is broken. It's irretrievably broken. It cannot be fixed. It's going to have to be changed, and if not, we are going to face a future where Colby, um, your son, Sin, is going to come in to you and Craig someday watching something on, uh, watching an old movie, and Colby's going to say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, what was it like to live in a time in which they actually made new movies every year? And I'm not exaggerating that. That's where we are right now, and that's why I wrote this book, Bringing Back the Old Hollywood, because while it is a story of my life in the film industry and the funds and the ups and the downs and things like that, it is also, particularly in the last third of the book, kind of a passionate description of how we got into this problem, where we are, and how we can get out of it. And and that's what the oldhollywood.com, our website, is about. It's not only the only place where people can buy the book, but it is also where we're going to collect people who actually want to save movies from going extinct. And 
that is the real passion of my life now. At the age of 64, uh, I think most of my own filmmaking days are behind me, uh, although I, I hope there may be one or two more in my future. But right now I am much more focused on trying to save movies from disappearing altogether. Because, well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable as far as how your own cycle in your family legacy process has gone, and you are now looking to basically save that world um, that was so tied into your family legacy and save it, it is, for yeah. future generations, um, which is just... Which is just beautiful. Um, do you see your children? I mean, I know that, that one of your daughters, Carrie, was was working with us at the Spiritual Cinema Circle. But do you see them wanting to have a future in film? You know, not uh, from a direct standpoint. I mean, well, one of my daughters, Heather, is a hairdresser, and um, she's very successful at it. And I think it's you know she has desires at some point to maybe do some film work. And uh, another daughter, Brenna, is, is, is about to go into makeup school, and I think she would like to, at some point or another, do that as well. But it's not the driving passion of their lives. It's something that they, you know, if we get involved, we get involved. If we don't, we don't. And, you know, that's, that's great. I mean, they've seen me, do, you know, be around the film industry, and they've seen what it takes. And I always say to people that, that I mentor and the people that come to me is that if you want to be in the film industry, I don't know anybody, and I mean this, in in all of my years of doing this, and I've been in the industry now for over 30 years, almost 35 years, I've never known anybody who was completely committed to it, who said, you know, this is something I have to do in my life, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to do it. I've never known anybody like that to not at least at one point get a chance to do it. I, I've never known anybody mm-hmm. not to. Um, and what I say to people, though, is that you better have it as the passion of your life, because if it's not, you're going to be competing with people where it is the passion of their life. And you can't compete with that if you're just like, well, you know, it may be, be kind of fun. So whether any of my kids get involved or not, at this point, I kind of doubt it. And, uh, right. you know, I have no feelings about that one way or the other. If one of them had decided they wanted to do it, that would be great. But they've kind of pursued other paths. Well, one of the um, the best pieces of advice that I know that you've given me and you've, you've doled out quite a bit over the years that I've known you already is, um, and it's been something that you've said to other people who are kind of just dipping their toe into the water, is that it's time to dive into the deep end of the pool. Yes. It's time to jump off the mountain. If you're feeling something in your heart and that's where you feel you need to go and fly, even if it doesn't um, doesn't go in line and flies in the face of what your parents have in, have projected onto you that you should be doing, that you should do it and take that jump and follow your heart. Yeah, I think I, I couldn't, that probably, and, and yes, you and I have talked about that so many times, if there's anything that I believe the most passionately about in life, it's that. Um, I think there are, if you have a creative desire in your heart, if there's a creative passion in your blood, if there's something that you feel your life is not going to be complete unless you can do something like that, then I feel you have to do it. And people are afraid of failing. A lot of people are afraid of failing. I understand that. I respect that. 
if you're going to be in a creative endeavor, you are absolutely positively going to fail. You're going to fail. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you are absolutely going to fail. The thing about it is that once you do, once you burn out, once you, you know, I just went through it again. I went through it again four years ago with Conversations with God, which was a great passion of my life, a great passion, a film that I'm incredibly proud of that we made on a very deeply and overtly spiritual basis came out and completely bombed. And it was heartbreaking. It was awful. And it took me quite a long time to recover from the disappointment and the pain and the hurt of it. But the truth is, I recovered. And when you get your heart broken, when you fail, eventually you realize, okay, well, at least I tried. And I don't know that that offhand, that great quote by Teddy Roosevelt about critics, uh, as opposed to the people who are actually in the arena. But it is the people who are in the arena who actually push the envelope and give their hearts and their souls and their, their passion to things that are the people who move society and humanity forward. And I completely, the last point of this is the George Burns, who lived to be, I think he actually did make it to 100. If he didn't make it to 100, he got to being very close to being 100. And everyone always used to love uh, ask George Burns, what was the secret to living a long life? And he always said the same four words, love what you do. And I I completely believe in that. I completely passionately believe in that. And I hope that people will do that. I hope people will follow their hearts. <sighs> Amen to that. I was just going to um, say, <laughs> well, we love doing this. I mean, Amen. I think that's what, you know, Cindy and I have found that if you love what you do, you don't mind doing it, especially because we're not sure where we're going to go with this, but we still believe in it, but so that's like why we're... Right, we we love it, and it's been it's been changing and and opening a space in both Melissa and I through doing Mama's Pearls and M Shems and opening up our world and our connections and our friends to a larger um, a larger base in the Mama's Pearls community and. Um, you know there there's no there's no divine path for it there's you know <laughs> i don't have um my family in the world of radio and this and that to kind of open open doors for us it's been it's been who we've met along the way and Stephen, you've been a guiding light for me for you know since we met which is already going on like i don't know 8 8 years something crazy like yeah, that yeah 8 and, years about uh, just about right now 8 years yeah Eight years. It's, it, yeah, exactly. I met you around my birthday, so um, it's been an amazing ride. Your your story and your life um, and your life's work to date has been an incredible story. Highly entertaining for me, um, <laughs> <laughs> but a wonderful ride and life lessons for anybody that comes across it. And again, I want to um, remind people to check out Bringing Back the Whole Old Hollywood at Stephen's website, which is oldhollywood.com, and to join in, in in our movement to basically save um, save the good parts of Hollywood. Let's, let's leave it like that. And we'll be, um, Stephen will be posting more information. You've been now doing a daily blog about 
about your work and now your new your new passion and legacy that you're seeking out and I you know I mean you know I'll be right there by your side throughout the whole thing but it's I know, very exciting I um thank you yeah it's very exciting thank to you and I have get to say to everybody, I, I, I hope everyone will buy the book and enjoy the book and I just want you to know everyone who does buy the book and enjoy it it would have been a lot juicier if it wasn't for Cynthia <laughs> my attorney and my advisor and Cynthia read a very early draft of the book and went through it to me and said you can't say that you can't do that you can't say that and I I must say that I'm really great I I am very grateful for that because it it I don't want to spend the rest of my life in court so I appreciate that very much thank you your your guidance is very very important to me too That's Thank great. you. So yeah, anybody who has a problem that didn't get juicy enough, you could just you could just email me at Cynthia at MamasPearls dot com and we'll talk about it. So before I let you go, Stephen, I've been very excited to ask you our standard come tell mama questions. Okay. Okay. So you ready? This is this is switching gears and instead of you know, and talking a little bit more about you. Okay. Not that we haven't been talking about you this whole time, but you get the point. So, what is your luxury indulgence? Food. Amen. Thank you. Food. <laughs> food, food, and more food. I happen to be blessed to be married to a world-class chef, and I don't mean cook. I mean, my wife, Lauren, is a world-class chef, and I am just the happiest guy in the whole world, and she loves to cook, and we love to eat, and we love to go out to great restaurants and have terrific wine and things like that. And I would say that, you know, I, I'm i sure my doctor would really be happy if I lost 20 pounds. And I put on those 20 pounds since I met my wife. Um, and they're the happiest, <laughs> proudest 20 pounds of my life. I have no intention of, of, of uh, losing them because, as Auntie Mame said, Life is a banquet, and most poor sons of bitches are starving to death. And I am not going to starve <laughs> to death. I love food. So that I, that's the first thing, first, second, and third thing that comes to my mind. And Cynthia, awesome. I don't, care, we, what, I don't we, care what you say about your thing. is Your thing is food, too. Oh, yeah, no doubt. We can't, Craig and I had the most, the craziest food fest weekend this past weekend celebrating our anniversary and my birthday in New York. I mean, it was like 24 hours of just pure food. It was all Italian food, and it was delicious, and, like, I'm still stuffed from it, but it was just amazing. And we haven't been that fat and happy in a really long time. Um, and you're a and Jewish I am mama. Post- you know? You're a Jewish mama. Not you know, like I, 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 we got to leave. Uh, just like one that. quick story about that. You know, uh uh, a, 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 a Jewish son gets on the wrong side of the law and becomes a gangster and gets shot and crawls to his mother's door, bleeding from several gunshot wounds, can barely knock on the door. His mother opens the door, looks at him, and he says, Ma, Ma, and she looks at him and she says, Sonny, welcome home. First you'll eat, then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just and ingrained yes, in us. It's awesome. It, it's a very nurturing and thing, feeding your family. It is. And we we talk about the whole thing about expressing love through food because it's, we have my family for generations. If I have a family legacy, that's been it. <laughs> you, know, you also have um, a family so, legacy of having 
two of the most wonderful parents that ever walked the planet. Thank you. I agree. I agree. And we have had the pleasure of talking to your wife before on Mama's Pearls, Lauren Simon. I don't remember the show, but I'll repost um, the link to that for anybody who's curious to see and speak and hear about Stephen's other half. So now that you love food so much, this might be a little bit of a difficult question for you because which of the following would you choose? And you can only pick one. The best sex of your life? the best meal of your life, or the best sleep of your life? Oh, please. <laughs> oh, please. You know, if you'd asked me that question 30 years ago, it might have been a different answer, but right now there's no question it's best meal. <laughs> no question. It's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. So, okay, this is this question I'm actually very excited because of um, your family legacy. So what is your favorite movie genre? My favorite movie genre? Ooh, boy. Well, absolutely spiritual cinema. Thank you. Absolutely spiritual cinema, and that's why uh, I just want to put in a quick plug for the Spiritual Cinema Circle as well, because that's why we founded the Spiritual Cinema Circle, and I'm very, very, very proud of it, and I would absolutely say Spiritual Cinema. Take a moment to explain to people what Spiritual Cinema is, because this, is, this spiritual, is how, again, that's how you we caught met. my attention, yes. Spiritual cinema are movies that make you feel better about being a human being. They're movies that ask the big questions about who we are and why we're here. And at the end of each film, at least you feel a bit better about being human. Uh, these are films that can be from various different comedies, dramas, documentaries, animation. It can be whatever it is. This is why, and Cynthia was um, one of the founding members of the Spiritual Cinema Circle that we started in 2003, spiritualcinemacircle.com. And today we have subscribers, monthly subscribers, in almost 100 countries. And we've been sending out four movies a month that, that accomplish that purpose, make you feel better about being human. These are not overtly religious films. Uh, they don't either promote or denigrate any particular religious belief. They are spiritual in the sense of the human spirit. And I highly recommend that people look at spiritualcinemacircle.com. It's something that I'm very, very proud of, still very active in. I choose the movies every month. We have a discussion period with a filmmaker and a subscriber. It's a great community, and I really recommend, again, that people look at Spiritual Cinema Circle. Wasn't yeah, there a spiritual cinema I'm sorry, what? Uh-huh. Wasn't there a children's... There, there was. There? Yeah. We, we did, did at one point one have a kids, kids in the circle, yes. We did, yes. Yeah. Right, right. And okay. now that's just kind of gone on to be one one kids, um, kids film compilation. But what I wanted to say about the spiritual cinema circle is that that whole experience for me, you know, one being brought in with you and Gay um, and also Ariel Ford to be a, you know, a co-founder of it, that that completely changed my life as far as my, my work and my career. It was the first time where I was really having to work in an entrepreneurial space and um, start something from scratch and 
like birthing that baby with you guys <laughs> was, you know, just so rewarding as far as feeling connected in my heart to what I knew and always felt that my connection with film was as being the most powerful medium out there and to be able to bring that to people on a on a daily and monthly basis was just so extraordinary. But the ups and downs that we went through as a company has taught me just so much. It's really been such an invaluable experience. So, um, and the fun of that, film, the fun, as you said, the, the yeah. fun of putting something like that together. Um, Gay refers to that as a few people in a garage deciding they're going to do something and how much fun that time in the garage is before you go out into the world. And I also liken it, if we're talking about old Hollywood, to you know Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland saying, hey, let's put on a show in the barn. You get the costumes, I'll get the sets, and I'll meet you there. That um, initial thing of, of starting something from scratch and just having a vision and hoping that it works, and then it actually does work. I mean, we're about to go into mm-hmm. our... Eighth or ninth year, we're about. To, is there, I think it's our eighth year. We're about to start in the spring. Uh, it is incredibly fun and, and tremendously fulfilling, and it was great. You and I and Ariel and uh, Gay and and then Anna Dara starting the company Anna. together, and it was a lot of fun. That's amazing. So, okay, food. When it comes to food, do you prefer sweet or salty? Uh, salty. Salty. Okay, so what do you consider, Stephen, as your most beautiful feature? My family. Hmm. No question, my family. My my family is the most important thing in the world to me. I think at the end of life that is the most important thing. It's who you've loved and who loves you. As the old expression goes, no one ever on their deathbed said, I wish I had spent more time at the office. And mm-hmm. uh, my family is very special to me. My wife is the most precious thing in my in my world and my most important relationship and between us we have six kids and a granddaughter and uh i i and then there's extended family as well which you and craig and uh and colby and casey are a part of and and our friends and i i think that family is the most important thing in the world amen to that um, and that's why we're doing what we're doing here at Mama's Pearls is to help strengthen not only your family bonds but all all your relationship bonds. Um, and it's funny because you know since I, I we launched the show part of Mama's Pearls, I've been wanting to to bring you on for a while, and we're trying to figure out like what's the right thing. And you know I would love to have you back to talk more about your experience being basically a single father because that is just such an incredible tale and we also, we often hear it told from the single mother viewpoint but to hear it from your perspective and how that that's really changed you because you basically had four girls yeah <laughs> and i'm sorry but like no no father should have four girls <laughs> too much it's just a really i thought my dad had it bad with val and i but you really had it bad um <laughs> so, so yeah so i would love for you to come come back on the show you know anytime the door the, the door and lines open but specifically to talk more about that now okay i would love closing up okay. yeah and closing up the the substantive part as far as you know hearing um you know we talked a lot about the shadow part of your family but what was 
some of the best advice and things that you do remember um, that your mama did tell you? Oh, boy. Okay, so if I'm going to be really honest about that, I have to say that I don't have mm-hmm. too many memories about my mother telling me anything that really stuck in my head. Um, I, I really don't. Um, for me, that person was my sister because um, Susie, uh, even though I know she doesn't like me talking about this because she's over the years she's, she's uh, kind of gravitated from being my older sister as far as she's concerned to my younger sister, but... Um, she's actually eight years older than I am, and um, Susie was the one that really encouraged me. And uh, I actually, uh, without getting too maudlin about it, I think that if it wasn't for my sister, um, I shudder to think if I would have ever really actually made it out in the world at all. Um, so it mm-hmm. was she that really encouraged me to follow my dreams, and to and she really gave me an enormous amount of love and an lo- enormous amount of support. It's a whole other story, but I mean. She even, when when she was 16 or 17 and was going out on dates, would say to, to potential dates, you know what, I'll go, but I'm not going unless I can bring my brother with me. And uh, she took me everywhere with her. She really did. She took me everywhere with her, and it was great. So it's a, that, that, that role in my life is my sister. That's really sweet, because I, I feel a, a particular kinship with, with my sister. I'm very close, as you know, but, um, you know, thank God for for Susan stepping in and kind of taking on a lot of the mothering role to, you know, to give you some grounding and some guidance. So uh, thank you, sure. Susan. Yeah, thank you, Susan. And, okay, so I just want to wrap up with reminding people, again, where to find you, Stephen. I mean, we talked about the website. We talked about the book. Um, you're also on Facebook and bringing back the whole old Hollywood. And you can be reached through the website at www.theoldhollywood.com. And, Stephen, thank you again so much for sharing this time with us on Mama's Pearls. It's been just so amazing to be able to formally introduce you um, to people who've, who've heard about <laughs> heard about me talking smack about you for so long <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that it's been really, truly an well, honor thank to, you. It has to been have so much fun. It has been so much fun for me to talk to both of you, and it's just been a kick for me to listen to you do this, Cynthia, because you're really good at it. I mean, you really, this is really wonderful. It's been an enormous amount of fun. The, the time has flown by. Melissa, it's wonderful to have been able to talk to you as well, and you know, I, I thank you both very much, and, uh, you know, onward and forward. Yeah, best of luck with the Absolutely. book. I saw the pictures in the book, and that alone was like, I need to read this now. <laughs> yeah. She's she raised it on my copy. <laughs> oh, we'll borrow my copies, but, the, yeah, the, the pictures are just incredible. They are incredible, and I love the picture of Lassie. That's, that's so funny that I mean, yeah, I you know, know. Talk, talk about, about growing pedigree, up in that world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pedigree and uh, and being bred for something that that's such a perfect symbol is is yeah we've had we had a son of Lassie as our dog. Yeah, that's there amazing. You go. That's a perfect perfect stamp on our on our family legacy show. And again, Stephen, thank you so so much. You're more than welcome. It was great fun. Have a great week. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, now Melissa and I are getting going to be getting back to our day jobs here, um, you know, because aside from talking and having a wonderful time talking to Steven, you know, he actually does make me work. (laughs) 
so um, we're going to wrap up. But but Melissa, you know what are what are you what are you thinking as far as your and Jim. <laughs> uh, it's all surprises. You know what? Some of the best stuff always comes when I just sit by myself and think about it long. So I'm not even going to uh, lead you guys down. Any yeah, this path is a this is a surprises. big show to process. Yeah, this is a big show to process this week. And even the blog was uh, was taking me on a lot of different journeys and sides of looking at what um, family legacies are and means. I was getting all these um, these symbolisms. Like I said, Forrest Gump kept popping into my head. I was thinking of the shadow of, um, you know, the struggles that a lot of children feel of deciding whether or not to go into a family business. And then I was kind of um, thinking about, like, family crests and how throughout our lives and as the family goes on and makes decisions and sometimes, like, Stephen absolutely, you know, fails miserably um, or quote, makes wrong decisions, how each of these trials really leads to building your coat of arms and the history that your family has together and shared and passed down is what goes into your armor, what goes into your 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 um, insignia and symbolisms on a family crest. You know, what symbols do you think represent your family? And I was did a Google search on family crests and some really amazing images were coming up, you know, a lot were like strong and steel and, and lions and, um, and really, you know, regal type images um, where at the core you, you wear a coat of arms with your family so it looks out to the outside world that, you know, your family unit is solid and strong and together and connected in security. But, you know, again, growing up within a family unit, everyone's still raw and vulnerable to picking up upon what has been passed down through the bloodline. So um, I'm really happy to have, you know, have had the chance to bring Stephen on to tell us of, you know, his extraordinary life and upbringing and how, you know, his personal struggle of, of getting getting through it and kind of decoding it for him. So I can't wait to read yeah, your I'm gems excited. on this topic. Well, I think what, yeah. is, what stands out for me quickly before we wrap up is that, you know, he definitely, he has no um, animosity. He definitely has wounds from, you know, being given everything, and that kind of sometimes makes you like, you know, that sucks for me, but instead he's turned that into a success. I mean, he still has a passion for film, and he still, you know, has strong memories and and reminisces about his childhood. So the childhood was great, Um, and he has no regrets about that. I think he just wasn't prepared to to not know that it wouldn't be given to him. On his, I, I think it's just it's nice that he still wants to reminisce about his you know his childhood, and I, I think that's that's important about their family history. You know, um, right? It may not give you everything you need in life, but if you still you know have strong memories, it's funny. I was with a woman the other night, and she was saying how her, her husband was like adamant about buying a house walking distance to school because that was something that he loved as a child was walking to school as a kid where, hello, we're 20 years later, we're not putting five-year-olds out in the street to walk to school by themselves anymore. It's a different world. Right, but, it's a different world. Well, right, but she, he was still, that was like something so important to him that they could walk, at, walk to school and um, 
of course, he goes to work every day. He's on the 6 a.m. train, and now his wife has to get the kids in the car and drop them off because they're not close enough for bus service. So, <laughs> but it was still like from his own personal heritage that was that was something he loved doing, and I think and that was his family growing up, him and his sister and brother walking to school. So, I just love you know how it's important to con- you want to continue what you have as family with your family to some extent. So, um, right, the positive bits of your tradition because yeah, and you don't have it, to be it's what you know. It's, it's what right. your identity, yeah, yeah. And I think it's your how your, your, your <laughs> yeah. And you making grandma's gefilte fish this year was I, was right. basically continuing the legacy. And I think it doesn't have to be right. a big fancy Hollywood situation. It's 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 reinvent, you know, making sure your children have what you have, and that's all about legacy. You know, recipes. Right. The traditions of your family and carrying it forward. Yeah, um, and I think you that know, and do, do you carry it forward? Because I think, I mean, so we want so badly, and you know, you always hear parents say we want our kids to have more than we had to do better than than we are than we did. Um, but they're still starting out in the same place that you did. You know, maybe with a little bit of extra cushion if you if you. You know, if you made a ton of money, you could help your kids out financially or, you know, if you come to some realizations and you can pass along your spiritual messages to your kids, but your kids still have to walk the walk. <laughs> they still have to go in out, out and make something and find their way in this world. So, um, you know, you can give them all the coat of arms and, um, you know, prepare them as best you can, but they're still going to be questioning and having that idea in their heads of whether the family past and the family um, business and legacy is really theirs. So, you know, just like I said, this week just raises a whole host of um, questions and insights, and really opens up a, a large a large space with me. And you'll see that the, that this week's Mama's Pearls blog is a bit on the longer side. Um, basically because of that, and I tried to break down, you know, some of the critical aspects of what I see that goes into it. Again, the Pearl of the Week for this week is a new dynasty. Um, again, thank you so much to, to Steven. <laughs> I almost said Steven Spielberg because it's just so funny that I have that story with Steven. But <laughs> Steven Simon, who I love so dearly, and I, and I love his family. They are my family. Um, and, you know, and again, just enjoying, joining in Steven's mission as far as if you're a passionate um a passionate um fan of films to to keep them going and to sustain it um to join him on his mission at the old hollywood dot com again you can listen to any of the past archives including including the the interview that we did with his wife lauren Simon. You can find that in the archives at blogtalkradio dot com slash mama's pearls you can chat with Melissa and I either on facebook we're at mama's pearls or via email at Cynthia at MamasPearls.com or at Melissa at MamasPearls.com. You can follow us on Twitter, which is at SinTweet. And next week for Melissa's birthday, we will be revealing the full M. Shem theme song. Have Very a great excited. week, everybody. Thanks okay, so much, have Melissa. Have a great Love week. You. Love you, Sin. Bye. <laughs> Bye, hon.
Dickens! 